RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All things gold and silver. And I looked up gold. Where does it come from? It comes from the ultimate process in nature. And that is the core of a supernova. That's a, that's a giant star collapsing on itself and exploding. Supernova explosion. No wonder it's worth something. And no wonder it's rare. So that's pretty amazing. So let's talk gold and silver now. Glenn Thomas of the Gold Survival Guide joins me now on Reality Check Radio. Glenn, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Paul. Pleasure to be here today. Okay, the the title is of the website and the business is Gold Survival Guide. There's a there's a survival. It sounds like you know being marooned or, or sort of um, so a desperate potential situation. Survival Guide. A lot of people are wondering where the, well, you know, the global financial system is at. And, of course, uh, with that, ours. Um, we think back to the, you know, the crisis of 2008. And we know that um, there are cycles over many decades, hundreds of years even, of a, a sort of like reinvention of what currency is. So are we coming up to an inflection point again, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, seem, it seems likely um, there's... There's lots of things going on in the world that are, and, and I guess they have been for a number of years, that are little signposts maybe along the way. And we're, we're seeing some of those more recently. I think I just saw some new, a news item today about, um, you know, Russia kind of signing deals and, and, and uh, pricing oil in slightly different ways and things, given that uh, their main trading partners now are all in Asia uh, for oil. So, I mean, that's kind of a little bit of a signpost that, and there's been lots of those over many years as well, but that's that's one of them. I think that that sort of uh, I guess is and largely kind of the US has probably largely shot themselves in the foot as well with this because they've almost forced some of these things to happen. They were already naturally happening, but they've kind of sped it up with the sanctions and things that they've used in terms of stopping the likes of Russia and using the SWIFT system and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it does seem like we are. You know, edging closer to that inflection point. It's a bit hard to like all these things. You can't. It's hard to call as to when that point actually happens. And I don't know if someone can tell you when it's going to happen. I'm probably lying, but say because I don't. No one really knows. But I mean, it does seem like we are edging edging closer. And and it is kind of a confidence game that that it's all based upon. You know, the the, the public at large having confidence in the system, um, and in the past. I guess when that when that when that confidence has eroded sufficiently, then often a new a new system has been introduced or a change has been made to the existing uh, monetary system. So, yeah, it seems like we are getting closer to that point. Whether it's you know tomorrow, a month, three months, a year, a few years, but I think it's you know probably within the decade. But um, and other people might say it should be much faster than that. But um, yeah. I, it's it's kind of around the corner anyway, I think. That's just the case of yeah, how how big the corner is, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, how sharp it is. Yeah. Um, so uh, gold, um, silver is perceived as a sort of like a, a value store, right? So um, people's interest in it would reflect a growing position of I don't know anxiety or or, or doubt in the current system. Are we seeing? you know, a really significant move to these metals now, which could, because the market's always right, right? That could indicate, you know, that the, the, the direction is a particular way. 
Yeah, we're definitely seeing, I mean, if, maybe if we go back even just over a number of years, probably since, um, I mean, it's, it's been kind of a, a steady upwards over many, many years, actually, but probably at the start of um, COVID, we definitely saw a, a very sharp uptick during 2020, like, you know, very, very sharp, in fact. Um, and that kind of stayed, the demand stayed pretty steady, like right the way from 2020, right the way through until towards the end of last year. And then interestingly, it kind of died off and it went really quiet for a number of months. And, and that, that's uh, precious metals can be kind of like that. They're definitely quite cyclical and the demand will kind of ebb and flow. And, um, you know, you can kind of, us being sellers of it, you get a bit of a feel for what's going on by what the larger mass of people are doing. And so that had definitely quietened off. But then literally when uh, the weekend of the, the Silicon Valley bank failure, a, a switch was literally flipped. And, you know, the, that Monday, it, it was back to kind of all, all guns blazing again sort of thing. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, it's not massively higher than it was last year, but it's, it's back to, to what it was after what was a pretty uh, quiet few months of demand. So, and then that's been reflected in the in the, the gold price, and maybe just more recently a little bit the silver price. But the gold price definitely uh, picked up, and in New Zealand dollar terms, the the, the gold price actually hit a record um, back in in March as well, like an all time all time high. So, and even in US dollars, it hasn't done that, but it's 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 not it's not too far from it now. It's getting it's, it's closing in on that. And it's probably likely to happen in, in US dollar terms, and. Because that's the price most people track. That's probably what generates a bit more interest. And when that happens, they will likely, um, you know, increase the interest further. I think so. Yeah, definitely, definitely a, a noticeable increase over a number of years, and um, for different types of reasons. Obviously, back during COVID, there was all sorts of stuff going on, and and there was a whole lot of currency printing and things happening back then that really went ballistic. Um, and so that probably put put doubts in people, and then last the last year maybe like the sort of inflation has probably been a factor that's um that's driven more people into it as well where they're sort of seeing their their savings eroded you know when you've got official interest rates uh, not interest rates inflation rates that are like you know seven percent or whatever and probably for most people because that's all watered down because it's averaging out you know the price of tvs and laptops and all these other things that you don't actually buy very often for most people the actual you know they've really noticed that obviously the cost of living this seems to be talked about more and more over the last year. So there's been different reasons maybe why people have been interested in precious metals. And then more recently, yeah, it's been the kind of concern around the probably the banking system. So yeah, sort of maybe different reasons over the last number of years, but they're all kind of interrelated reasons as well, I'd say. Yeah, the the difference between gold and silver, it's always been a curious question for me. I mean, they're both metals. I know gold is rarer. It's made in supernova explosions. So that's pretty intense, and I don't quite know how silver's made. Maybe in the same way, uh, uh, you know, they're both metals. But people, what they they buy silver, gold for different reasons, or is silver like a sort of a cheap cousin to gold? I mean, how does that? How do people make their decisions between the two metals? Is it purely price? How does it work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess people make everybody's different so they all make different decisions for different reasons but i mean some of the kind of common ones that i guess i kind of see is yes there's there's definite differences between gold and silver um gold is definitely seen as like the main monetary metal it's the main kind of crisis metal it's the it's and that and the price holds up well and like we saw that back in 2008 where that was like the only asset that actually finished the year you know higher than it started when everything else was getting decimated 
and it, and Silver actually didn't manage to finish the year higher than it started. It actually went down during that period of time. And Silver's got a lot of industrial components to it as well, you know, in, in terms of electronics, in terms of, you know, batteries and obviously all the EV stuff that's going on. Um, so then it's probably more volatile for those reasons that there are industrial components to it. So that'll ebb and flow with, you know, demand going up and down for industrial reasons as well. But yeah, it, it is effectively known as kind of poor man's, you know, the, the poor man's cousin of, of, of gold right. because at the moment it's about 80, uh, just over 80 times cheaper. So an ounce of gold, yeah. you know, is like north of 3,000 and an ounce of silver is, you know, under 40 bucks sort of thing. So it's, it's cheaper. And probably in, some, in terms of the reasons, well, some people probably see upside in silver. So they might actually, they might buy it because it's kind of got a, a hedging and a, and a crisis sort of basis to it, but that potentially it's got more upside as well. Um, and if we look back into other times, like at the end of the 1970s, um, precious metals bull market, like silver rose a lot more than gold over the course of that period. It kind of happened later, but it rose more. And so then the difference between those two metals was actually went down to 15. So it was only 15 times more expensive for an ounce of gold than silver. So that's, you know, if potentially if we got back to that, well, that means there's a lot of, you know, silver would be worth a lot more in dollar terms than it is now. But um, so those are kind of some of the reasons. I mean, like other people probably, because of the cheaper per ounce nature of silver, like some people do buy it with a view to, um, and, and we've definitely noticed this over like during all uh, COVID, it was quite noticeable that there are a lot more people buying silver coins during that period of time. Um, and people were actually saying, I'm buying it as a hedge and I'm buying it like as a worst case scenario, like the monetary system completely breaks down. Um, it could be used to, you know, basically go and purchase your, your daily goods, you know, buy food, whatever else you need. So that was definitely quite a change over that period of time. People did buy coins before that, but not in the in the in the same kind of volume. So um, yeah, those are probably some of the some of the reasons as to what and again I'm kind of getting inside people's heads and assuming those are some of the reasons, but they seem like the logical reasons why. Well, I mean, if you're why. talking to people in the market, you you you're finding out what they're thinking, I guess. And you get a feel and then yeah. and human behavior. Uh, well, I'm not saying it's totally predictable, but it's that not it's not that unpredictable, I suppose. Yeah. And of course, I imagine those two metals have a, a fundamental role in the history of of the banking industry and the way it developed. Fruit was created and developed, um, and you know there was a time when you know you knew that in a bank vault there there was gold and there was you know precious things underpinning what what uh, the bank was lending out at the time that's not so much the case anymore am i correct yeah that's probably an understatement to say it's not so much the case anymore either really because it's not the case at all um i mean yeah there's, there's quite a lot I mean, i quite i've quite an interest in kind of monetary history and and and, and it and it leads into a lot of other things as well but yeah it, in a real in a real fast kind of historical overview of, of money um Today we've got banks, and you, you put your money in your bank, and you're going to get it paid X percent interest, and you expect that you can go and get that back out when you want it. Um, the bank failures we saw recently kind of show that that's not necessarily the case. And in terms of how banks lend money out, I shouldn't really call it money. In, in terms of how banks lend out currency, I should say these days it's all based upon like a set percentage that the central bank sets 
And, um, you know, it could be, let's say it's 10% or whatever of their you know, reserves that they of deposits that they can lend out. So historically, that wasn't the case at all. And how, um, how banks actually arose was back in the times of um, like silversmiths and goldsmiths and silver storehouses. And it was, you know, your average merchant who might have been, um, you know, shodding horses or doing something like that, built up some savings. And it was more that he could hide out the back of the house or, or bury in the ground. And so these silver storehouses arose whereby um, the, the, the merchant would basically pay or pay for the privilege of the silver storehouse storing his money. So that actually keep it safe for him basically so he could then go back and get it when he needed it. And then from that evolved uh, the, the kind of banking process whereby then that silver storehouse or then silversmith would then could, could lend out a portion of the merchant's um, savings. But importantly, that percentage was not decided by the, the silver storehouse, it was decided by the merchant. So he decided, I need 20% of my um, you know, savings to, to feed my family and you know, pay for the groceries and what, whatever they needed to do. The stables. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, pay for the stables and buy the metal for the horseshoes and whatever it may have been back then. But yeah, that was the that was the point was that he decided that twenty percent, and then he kept that twenty percent with the storehouse, and the storehouse might then lend out the other eighty percent, and he would decide how long he needed that, or how long he could um, give up those excess savings for, whether it was a year or six months or two years or whatever, and that's where the kind of term deposit scenario that we have today comes okay. from. Yep. So that's your term deposits versus your on-call or demand deposits. So that was the key difference is that the demand deposits, he didn't receive any income. He didn't receive interest for that because they weren't being lent out. He just kept them with the silversmith, the silver storehouse for safety. And so that's the key difference now is that when you deposit your money with the bank, they give you interest on everything and your demand deposits that you think are on demand they're not all there waiting for you. If everybody shows up at the same time and says, I want my 10% demand deposits back, it's, it's, they're not going to be there because of the way the system is currently, that it's based upon an arbitrary number that's set by the, by the central banks, basically. So they'll determine how much of that a bank can lend out, and that will go up and down. And you know, during COVID, it got, it got you know, I think in the US, they were, they were allowed to lend basically 100%. They could lend everything for a time back there. Right. So and, and, and even in New Zealand, we had capital um, increases that were due to come in around the time of COVID, and that all got put on the back burner. And I think it's only just started to happen again now with an increase in those. So yeah, that's the key difference between how things operate now and how it evolved, how banking evolved. Is it's it's only a fine line, but it's a very it's a very key difference that means you know the, the banking um, system and process is is totally reliant upon confidence, and so. If that confidence erodes and people all show up and knock on the door, um, yeah, or uh, you know, peered into their phones as they were talking about how things have sped up so much, even since when bank runs happened in two thousand and eight, and the spread of social media and whatnot. So you, the the the, the confidence can disappear, you know, much faster than what it did even you know, whatever that was fifteen years ago. Yeah. You know, this is. Um, Back in the 1930s, when you saw the queues of people queued up around the outside the banks in the Great Depression times, sort of thing. 
Um, now it can happen like at the push of a button and it can all disappear, you know, within minutes really. So um, yeah, that's that's the, without getting into the delving into the detail yeah. too much. No, that's no, that, that, that's really interesting. Between, yeah, between how things were. So there's nothing, what you're saying is there's nothing physical. There used to be something physical. Now there's nothing physical. So uh, even probably the money you're being lent is just zeros and ones really, isn't it? I mean, it's not as if they've taken that amount of money out of one bag and put it into another in the back office or in, in the vault. It, it really doesn't exist. That that seems to to make the whole, you talk about confidence, the whole system, and I wonder if we're heading that way now, looking what's been happening in the US, at the bank failures and the potential for contagion, not only in that country, but around the world, that, that if it's all relying on confidence and there's nothing physical, it could all just evaporate away, couldn't it? Just like that, potentially, um, leaving people in very tough situations. And um, what, they can't just sort of like create new zeros and ones and top everybody up again? Um, uh, I, I take it that's not, not something that they can do. So uh, well, no, they, no they, wonder there's concern, any, right? No any, wonder people are concerned. Possible. Yeah, anything's possible. Yeah, but I guess the thing would be if they created those extra ones and zeros, and they just fire them into everyone's bank account. They 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 might not come from anywhere, but they do go somewhere. So that's kind of the the the, the key thing there is that the more ones and zeros that that's it's breaking things down and putting it in a very simple way, and it's mm -hmm. probably a bit more complicated than this and relies on other things. But effectively, like the more currency you create, whether that be physical notes or whether that be you know ethereal kind of ones and zeros floating around um, cyberspace kind of thing, the more of them you create means that the purchasing power of that unit is is diminished. And so um, that's probably why I refer to currency, not money, because right. one of the money requires a few things. And one of those is a store of value and, and money that we have. Now, the money that we use that we call money is really just currency, whereas it's a means of exchange. And, and, a, and a unit of account, probably a poor unit of account, because it's like using an elastic tape measure to, you know, mm -hmm. to measure something. It's 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 always changing. Is that the tape measure's been made longer, basically? So whatever you're measuring is is varying day to day, month to month, and week to week because your unit of measure is actually changing. So um, that's that's kind of a key thing. Why I I still sometimes say money myself, but I think in, in currency is the is the correct term to use because it's not a store of it's not a store of value, um, and I guess that's why people do turn to gold and silver because they've been proven to be a store of value. And there's old anecdotes of lots of comparing lots of things and what they cost back in the day. But they sort of say that an ounce of gold back in Roman times, like bought you a fine toga and top quality <laughs> sandals sort of thing, and an ounce of gold today still buys you if you go like a you know a top quality men's suit and you yeah. know tailored and shoes and all the rest of it, it still buys around about around about the same amount. And you know, you can't really say that about look at what the New Zealand dollar buys now versus what it bought 10 years ago or go back into the 70s and what it you know what it buys compared to then. And that's only, you know, a few decades or maybe 50 years, I suppose, versus you know, two thousand years. So yeah. um that's 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 obviously another reason why people do do turn to that to do turn to precious metals is because for that for that store of value um, 
you know, reason, basically, yeah. Who knows what they'll be wearing in another 2,000 two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it'll probably still buy your, um, your, I don't know, your futuristic um, space toy. Yeah, yeah, maybe right. Yeah, maybe it'll still buy that. Yeah, I want. I want to ask you how people go about purchasing these medals. Do they get them get them physically and all of that in just a moment? But just going back to the uh, bank issues because it's been very current, and uh, and this will be um, in the thinking of people when they they're thinking about precious metals. I would imagine, and also knowing about uh, the new block of countries that are basically moving away from the petrodollar, the uh, the American global reserve currency, right? And that threatens the value of that. And that sounds like it could be a house of cards. And all the sanctions that went up against Russia, trying to um, put it in a very tough space over the war in Ukraine, the Russian economy seems to have hung in there. And I understand that that is uh, partially due to the fact that they do have very large stores of physical gold that they've been building up for a long time. And, you know, there's something physically there to underpin their currency. So there's that. But in terms of of banks and bank failures, I think everyone was wondering about this contagion effect. And from your knowledge and, and, and interest in the history of banking, are we vulnerable? And, you know, the Federal Reserve pulled some tricks to sort of try and, you know, circuit break the contagion effect. Are we able to do that here as well? Or are we a smaller player with less cards to play? How do you see it? Oh, we're definitely a smaller player, but I mean, we're our the way our banking system works. We have a central bank. You know, the US has a well, they call it the Federal Reserve, but it's not federal and doesn't have any reserves. But it's the central bank as well. You know, okay. so, uh, ours is called the Reserve Bank, and it's the central bank too. They they maybe own and structured slightly differently, um, but I mean, effectively, we're we're operating in much the same sort of realm. We, there are some differences around New Zealand, which are somewhat rare. And most people don't probably even realize that in the US, they do have like the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, they have similar things in the UK and Australia. And in the US, it was like $250,000 that was basically insured of your deposits. So you could have a number of banks and you, know, you were covered up until $250,000. Well, in the case of Signature Bank, they had a whole lot of companies that had way more than $250,000 with them. So they basically you know, bailed out all those depositors um, to, to the full tune of their deposits. Whereas in here, New Zealand, we, in New Zealand currently, there, there is legislation that's in place and, and it's, it's taken a little while, but maybe it's meant to be next year now, maybe, um, for to bring in like a deposit insurance. But at the moment, there isn't such a thing at all in New Zealand whatsoever. So there's none of your deposits in New Zealand are covered by a, a government guarantee or a deposit insurance or anything like that. Um, we're covered by what's called the open bank resolution, which basically means if a bank fails, the central bank can shut that bank down, have a look at what assets it's got, and then reopen it once it's determined that. Give all the depositors a haircut effectively and say, well, you had uh, you had $100,000. Uh, well, that, that's not there anymore, but you can have $20,000 and you can have access to that. And so then the idea is to reopen the bank and people would have access to a, a limited amount of what their savings may have been in there. Um, that's not to say that if push came to shove, the, the, the um, government or and the central bank wouldn't roll out some kind of, you know, bailout just like they did in, in the US and maybe they probably would if, if they saw it was bad enough. 
And as you say, if they were worried about the contagion effect, which is what they were definitely worried about with um, with, with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank that they that they bailed out hurriedly over over that weekend. Um, so yeah, I mean they could do similar things here. That's the the way the law actually stands. We're quite different. We're in a worse position than what the US, the UK, and Australia are because we don't have any uh, government guarantees whatsoever of our of our deposits. Um, and as I said, that that will change. It looks like that's going to change, but it's probably not going to be this year. It might be more like next year when that rolls out. And I think that's up to $100,000 that it's going to be. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, a guarantee is only as good as what's kind of backing it up as well, I suppose. So, um, and all these things like the US kind of said, well, the, the tax, this is not using, using taxpayer dollars, which might have been strictly true, but was sort of, if you look into the details of how it's done, the average guy and gal on the street is still going to is, is going to pay for it because the way these bailouts happen is they create you know more units of currency basically. So mm. over time, your buying power is diminished. So you may not directly pay for it out of what would be called taxpayer dollars, but you'll pay for it out of reduced um, spending capacity basically. Um, and that's what we've probably been doing for the last however many years as well, just silently. Just, have, just so it happens that in the last year it hasn't been so silent because people that kind of start to notice when you lose a couple of percent, you don't, you're sort of a bit ignorant of it. You lose seven or eight percent a year, you start to, you know, you start to pay attention. Wait on, wait on. People say, wait on. What's going on here? Exactly. I'm talking with uh, Glenn Thomas of Gold Survival Guide. Okay, so um, I want to buy some gold or silver d- d- and I come to you. Does that mean that you actually physically find some for me? And first of all, does it come from New Zealand? Is it New Zealand gold? Because I know we dig it out of the ground here. And I, and I saw a news story last week. Some someone somewhere found this huge nugget that was two hundred forty grand's worth. Imagine that. But um, you know, there's quite a few ounces come out of, I think, the South Island and and also around Waihi, I think. So, are you physically buying it? And and, and people are are. are are getting it in their hand or is it just something that something that says you've got some if you you know want to collect it or how does it work yeah they definitely are buying the actual real physical lumps of gold in the form of bars and and coins Uh, so yeah it's it's not a particularly complicated process it's you know with the price of gold and silver very like minute to minute day-to-day hour to hour sort of thing so if someone wants to purchase they just contact us and either say i want to buy this particular product or i want to buy this many ounces or more often than not just i want to spend this many dollars and i want to you know split between gold and silver like whatever it might be 50 50 or 60 40 or whatever um and we'll we'll quote them as to in line with what they're after um, someone just says yes I like the look of that I'll take it I accept and they get issued an invoice so it's a binding contract that they're going to pay us X many dollars and we're going to deliver them X many ounces or kilograms of, of gold and or silver and then that gets um, that gets delivered to them or, or they can pick it up um, and then there are storage options as well and, and we can line people up with other bolts and other things too but yeah effectively that's what that's what's key is they do get the actual metal itself it's not a promise it's not a certificate it's you're not reliant upon 
is it going to be there? Because that's one of the key the, the key characteristics of gold and silver is that they are the only financial assets that don't have counterparty risk, which just means that there's not someone on the other side of the asset that you're hoping is going to remain you know, whole. Like a, like a share, you're relying upon that company remaining solvent and continue trading. A bank, you're relying upon the bank remaining solvent to give you your, your, you know, your savings back. Um, gold and silver, as long as you hold it yourself, you're not relying upon you know, someone else to deliver what they what they say they're going to deliver. So, um, yeah, it's definitely definitely the real stuff, and I think that's pretty important because you're like most of the time people are buying gold and silver as a form of financial insurance. You know, it's it's a kind of a what if, it's a covering worst case scenario type thing. So, if you're if you're trying to cover for the first worst case scenario, you want to make sure that you know what you've the insurance policy you signed has actually got something behind it, basically. Yeah, you can go into the, that little cupboard and it will be there. Yeah, or that little yeah. safe. You want uh, it to make sure that it's garden. actually there. So yeah, it's not it's not a complicated process, but it is it is it is a bit different because yeah, you are getting sent something tangible, whereas people that are used to like buying shares or whatever, you know, just see them as an entry with the stockbroking yeah. um, or the, the, the bank they're doing it with or whatever or they get a certificate all those sorts of things so yeah you're actually getting the, the if the i wanted to purchase let, let's say i had you know my gold bar or or, or coins I, I don't know how you break it down depends on the quantity i suppose mm-hmm. and uh, and how you want to use it but you know if i wanted to go let's say and buy a car okay and and just down the road here i'm looking i've got i've got the nissan car dealer i like <laughs> i like a model there and I've got my uh, stack of gold coins or or a bar. Um, do you think I could go and do a deal with that? Would, would they take that as exchange, do you think? I, I'm just riffing yeah. here, but I'm just wondering. They, depending on the person's knowledge, they might do. They, they'd need enough knowledge to know what the value of the, you know, the whatever, the yeah. five or ten ounces of gold were versus what they think their car's actually worth. Um but I have heard of I have heard of people doing that. I have heard, I think I remember a client saying I bought this a motorbike with you know whatever whatever I think it might have been some silver or something. I can't really recall. But that would have been pieces. more that, that would have been more of like a private transaction between two individuals, yeah. not necessarily rolling down to the Honda dealership and sort of <laughs> lumps. You know, you got the backpack yeah, there. Yeah, here's my thirty kilos of silver. You know, want for just put a hole through your desk, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, as I said, there's people that are definitely buying, in particular, silver with a view to that. Not that they intend to go and do it next week, but just that they see that as a as a um, as a potential risk. Who knows how big a risk? But as a potential risk, in a worst case scenario, where the monetary system actually breaks down. Um, and I mean, I guess you can even see that on a on a re- on a recent basis for us here in New Zealand, just in with the you know with the floods and the and mm. the, the extreme weather events and things. Um, people that had just physical cash were definitely an advantage in those times because you know power was down, FBOS was down, all those things were down, and so I guess you're extending that out even one step further to if maybe power was still up and FBOS was still running, but you know what were the one what was happening with the ones and zeros did they still exist well you're you're extending that insurance even further to having some cash at home to actually having some something that's physical and holds value and is readily tradable and exchangeable so that there's definitely some people that are actually buying silver coins for that reason with a view to insuring themselves against that real you know 
worst case scenario. And if the worst case scenario doesn't happen, well, you've still got something. Yeah. Unlike other insurance policies, if you don't, you know, your house doesn't burn down, you go up under or kind of spend you don't you get know, the premium how many effect. grand a year. Yeah. yeah. But if if the worst case scenario doesn't happen, well, the, the odds are that your silver or gold will still buy, you know, something around what it was when you first paid for it. So I guess that's the that's the benefit of this sort of financial insurance is that, you know, you, you don't just sign your check and, and pay your money every year and it's gone. It's actually still actually still there. Just to wind up, a lot of people are hearing about uh, central bank digital currency. And if the fiat currency, um, the well, first of all, the American currency as the global reserve petrodollar and, and all the other currencies around that really just rely on confidence, like you say, um, if they are in danger, it's likely that the new version of currency will be a central bank digital currency. People worry about that. It's programmable, can be used to manipulate behavior in worst case scenario. I think people have a reason to be suspicious of that. And there's a lot of control potential, and we've seen that played out already. So it's not as if we haven't seen that. We know what that looks like. Is, again, this a way, I, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but if you were suspicious about that and didn't want to get entrapped in that web of central bank digital currency, programmable maybe, then it would be very handy, wouldn't it, to have another store of value that, that can keep you off grid, let's say. And if those times were to eventuate, uh, do you think people are thinking about that a lot now? I'd say people are definitely thinking more about that because, as you say, it's another way. It's, it steps you outside of the system. It's a it's an asset that isn't directly linked to you know the current banking system or or anything else. So there's definitely people that will be concerned about that and will be buying you know precious metals with a view for that. Are hold. you concerned about that from your knowledge of the system? Is that something that's worrying you at the moment? Oh, yeah, I, I def- the central bank does, digital currency doesn't sound like a great thing to me, but then my views on on the currency and things have, have probably always would always have been somewhat extreme, whereas where I'd see that money should be decided by the people that use it, not by the people at the top. And so, you know, there should be a free market for money and let the market decide what the best form of money is to use. So, um, and I think if that was the case, then it's likely that gold and silver would, if they weren't necessarily the ones, I think they're going to be, you know, part of part of what's used. Um, so that's, that's, that's definitely a concern, as you say, because it, it puts more power in the hands of like you know the the the, the central um, controllers, and I think history kind of shows that the that what what the what the a larger group of people decide is usually better than what a very small elite group of people decide. Well, certainly for the larger group of people, anyway. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's probably the, the trouble is with the central bank digital currency is that yeah, it, it removes. Um, power even further from you know the masses and centralizes it even more you know, with no anonymous transactions anymore that's, no, that's right yeah. i mean i guess the next and, and and gold and silver i think are unfairly kind of targeted just like cash has been you know they've been pillared and been made to sound like it's the home of you know drug dealers and yeah you know, and and um anyone up to mischief basically but i mean the, the people that we see are just average, average Joe Blow, you know, New Zealander, really. Often small business owners and and you know people that have actually worked hard and and created some wealth and and want to you know make sure that they 
hang on to it, basically. So yeah, yeah. sensible, in other in other yeah. words, sensible yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're not they're not lo- raving loonies, really. You know, it's just conspiracy theorists. Or, yeah. or maybe there's a lot more raving loonies around now than what there was, you know, ten years ago. That's that the could be a point. point. There's, could a, be a there's, point. there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of raving loonies, obviously, because uh, we're seeing more of them. So, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's that's definitely uh, yeah, it's def- definitely a cause for concern, and not something that I would uh, look forward to as the central bank digital currency, because yeah, you combine it with social credit and all sorts of other things, and you know, you've got the means to manipulate and control people um, much more than can even be done currently. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely something to be aware of, and hopefully um, that 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 doesn't eventuate, and people can kind of see through that and, and see it for what it is. And yeah, and if not, we'll at least have something that's um, you know a protection from that because it's something outside of the outside of the current system and, the, and outside of any kind of future system as well. And people now know where to go. That is the Gold Survival Guide website. That's .co.nz. And Glenn Thomas, thanks for coming on and explaining all of that. I think it's very timely. And uh, it's good to, I always like to hear a bit of history and and uh, you know, answering questions about, uh, I think people have been concerned about those bank failures and the contagion effect. And they wonder if the information they're getting is is complete and accurate. So uh, good to um, to fill in the picture there. Thank you for coming on Reality Check Radio. And we'll just repeat your um, web address again, goldsurvivalguide.co.nz. And you've got all the instructions on there. I watched a little video. So people who feel ignorant about it, they don't need to what, be shy. They can just come in, ask the right questions. They might seem like dumb questions, but actually they're the normal questions. And uh, you guys can uh, answer them and, and take it from there. Sounds yeah. good. Yep, that's definitely it. That's the way we've kind of structured it. There's, there's lots of information on there, and if you've still got questions, you can come and ask, and hopefully we sort of try and, you know, demystify something that, that most people probably haven't had any um, exposure to over the over the course of their kind of current life. So, yeah, that, that's been our aim, and, yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward, but um, there's plenty of info on there, and, and we're always happy to answer questions as well. So, uh, yeah, nice to thank Paul. Appreciate it. It's been 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 fun chatting with you as well yeah same and uh, i mean you can always go down to otago with a pickaxe and randomly select a river valley somewhere and have a go but it's very unlikely isn't it all that's been taken now hasn't it all that's gone yeah decades there's still people doing their what they call alluvial mining down particularly in the south island where they're still you know getting it out of the um out of the rivers i even know someone here that does it they kind of spend the summer up here and the and the winter down there actually you know mining gold down there so it is and it is still done and there are still i think you alluded to earlier there are still mines in new zealand as well mm-hmm. and so it does still come out of the ground and it does still get refined and manufactured here as well um and so there, there is still such a thing as new zealand gold it probably all gets lumped together with everything else and and you know the wax refined it's can be a mixture of various other things i want new zealand gold yeah, yeah, well, that's that's probably something we need to actually. There's definitely a, there's probably is a demand for that as well. So that's uh, something for us to hundred percent pure. Whether that's a possibility to extricate <laughs> out the real pure pure New Zealand gold. Pure New Zealand gold is a premium on that. Yeah, yeah got to yeah. be. All right, thank you, Glenn. No, all good. Thanks for having us. Much appreciated. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.